is Jessica Crow, and I'm the founder of Apogee and the host of Change Leader Insights, which is a podcast all about change, how we lead through change, how we influence change, how we manage and facilitate behavior change. And today's guest here with me today is Douglas Scherer. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? Hopefully I did. Perfect. All right. So Douglas is a keynote speaker, a facilitator, an author, a professor at Columbia University. I am so excited to have him here on the show today. He wrote a book called Forged Six Practices of Great Leaders in Volatile Times. And this framework really stood out to me uh, for a few different reasons. The framework forged, I'm going to read it really quickly, and then I'm going to have Douglas introduce himself in more detail. It stands for Favor Compassion, only unexpected, recast ideas, go with intuition, employ action communications, and drive community bonds. And as change leaders, all of those things are so important for what we do in our practice and profession. But Douglas, before we get into that, can you share a little bit more about who you are, kind of how you got to where you are, and what maybe the origin story for Forged uh, was in terms of the book? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, for the opportunity to talk about it, uh, the who I am. Uh, so I've been consulting and working um, as in several different hats um, as a university professor in leadership and also you know in IT uh, as an IT leader. But the um, thing that really touched me and kind of the pivot point moving from IT into moving into the human-centered components of leadership. Yeah was when I started in, in my own consultancy to be put more and more, not in the role of like dealing directly with the technology people, but yeah. being a person who just seemed naturally to be able to talk to executives. Yeah. So I hadn't really started out to kind of move towards that direction, but just because I guess for some reason I enjoy talking with folks, I got put in front of them. Um, <laughs> and I think one of the most telling ones was an organization where I was just asked, hey, can you go talk to, you know, Joe, whatever his name was. And he's an executive and he's been trying to get this analytical thing going for three years. Yeah. For three years working with the IT department, couldn't get it done. And um, can you just go talk to him? And what I found was he's just trying to describe to me in the language of the screen, which was built 10 years ago, yeah. what his new brilliant business idea was. <laughs> and it's not there. I mean, it's not in the screen. And every time the IT department came up, they were like, well, we can shift this field, we can shift. No, right. the field he needs is not on the screen. Right. So right. I told him, turn off the computer, stop yeah. pointing at the screen, and you tell me, don't even draw a diagram or anything. Just tell me what is the business problem you're trying to solve, where you're trying to get to, and why you want to do it. Yeah. The whole tenor, the whole feeling of the room changed, right? Because all of a sudden, instead of trying to figure out how do I solve this problem, right. he's explaining to me in you know almost like joyful uh, liberation of like <laughs> what he's trying to get done and why and what a great idea it is. And so now I've got a person in front of me who's totally opened up. Right. Yeah. And um, then I'm able to say, OK, now still don't turn on the screen. You know, there's a whole model of learning. So my um, my doctoral research is in um, organizational leadership and learning. Uh -huh. So it's a lot about learning and opening mindsets. And, you know, there's a portion of it. You know, we all learn and express ourselves in different ways. He was not going to be able to express himself in the way of that screen. 
I said, just right. leave it off. Just draw diagrams. Let's don't even make it a screen. You know, just start sketching things that kind of represent what you want to get done. It starts moving into, you know, the bottom line is all this guy wanted was a, a, a three uh, is a quarterly year over year report. Right. <laughs> That's all he really wanted. If yeah. you get down to it, I don't know why it couldn't be expressed. But so he started just drawing pictures and stuff, and then we started bringing that into what does the dashboard look like? And mm -hmm. then I just took that to the technology business analyst, and I said, "This is what we want." And they go, "She goes, yeah, all all the data is in there. I can make this." It took like three weeks later, maybe a month later. I'm walking. It was a this giant two floor organization. I was upstairs walking by the boardroom and he's standing in the doorway and he's holding the report and he's shouting my name down the hall. And I was like, this could be bad or this could be good. You know? <laughs> and he's like, I can't believe it. They totally bought into my strategy. I mean, the, the, you know, all the analytics helped me, you know, present the thing. And I'm like, this guy spent three years because yeah. no one was listening to him. They were trying to push a solution. Yeah. And so that really was one of the key things that kind of opened me up to this idea of like, we really have to look at the human centered components yes. to make an innovative change environment, but yeah. also just to treat people well. I mean, so the, the human centered piece, I mean, the, um, you know, the forged letters uh, are really expressing kind of a very human centered way of, of leadership, opening yeah. mindsets and helping people perform their tasks. I, uh, the two that stood out to me that I really liked from that, and that's a great story and example of how when you sort of shift your approach and uh, mindset and thinking to focus on humans, you get a totally different outcome and in a much shorter time frame too, which was really neat. Mm. Um, but favor compassion and go with intuition. And those are two that I am very closely aligned with and they resonate and also very challenging uh, in practice, that compassion piece, especially. And as leaders, you know, the question comes up like, well, how do you lead with compassion? What does that mean exactly? So maybe in your words, if you were to describe what favor compassion is all about, mm -hmm. I'd love to, you know, to hear how you're thinking about it. Yeah. And the two stories in the book are very powerful stories. Um, I'll just give you a quick overview of those. Um, yeah. One is of Sunil Notani who had taken over this role in a major corporation of doing transformational change. I mean, that's what he was hired to do. And he had his first like big meeting with the upper ups and the person who um, had brought him in, his supervisor was expressed very negative attitude towards the whole thing and kind of got on his case in front of, in a public sphere. Yeah. And he used that opportunity as an opportunity. Like he could have, you know, just gone into anxiety or depression or whatever you do. But he actually used that as an opportunity to reach out to people mm -hmm. and to say to them, I'm sorry you had to be involved in that or listen to that. Mm -hmm. How can we work together? How can I help you? Yeah. Um, so there's a bit of equanimity in there as well with the compassion, which is, you know, I want to help you. I want to bring peace to the whole thing. Yes. And as he used, reached out to individuals, he started building his network, yeah. right? And then he created a group. So based on that hard time and that, you know, um, that kind of critical moment, uh, he actually created unity, right, yeah. through that um, versus creating, he could have brought a lot of anger and resentment to the whole thing. The other story in there is Loda Kronberg, who um, was running, who was the executive VP um, and producer of a... Um, a major motion picture 
animation film. Mm-hmm. The some of the animators were and the director were in India, and um, unfortunately, the director took his life on the oh, night no. before he was going to come back to London, and so suddenly, you know, she has the pro, and this can happen. I mean, you know. Uh, I mean, hopefully that doesn't have too much, but the idea of crisis in a project and the emotions yeah. along with it. Yeah. Um, so she had to deal with the emotional components of that. She actually was responsible for bringing him back and, you know, in, you know, informing the family and, um, and, um, uh, and she, but she still had a project to do. Right. Yeah. So how do you bring that team together? Now they don't, the team, it's a remote team, doesn't have a leader. Those animators were not trained to be directors and to kind of create that thing. So uh, a lot of what she had to do, and again, in the learning environment, uh, an organizational learning environment, to me, listening is the key thing. Like even with yes. that gentleman who I spoke about at the beginning, um, listening, listening, listening. And that in design thinking now, the empathy component is like the listening component. Um, so it's kind of been formalized in that, but you know, so much of what she did was was listen. Let's get it out there. We still have a job to do, but let's talk about this on a personal level. Then let's now that we're together, let's bring that to the professional level. And how can we make yeah. this thing happen? Right? Again, yeah. bringing folks together through you know kind of a, a crisis moment um, yeah. and using yeah. that as a unity moment. The um, the it, for, from a personal level i just recently had an experience well about a year ago i had spine surgery yeah and it's extremely painful and i was up on the spine ward spine surgery ward and it's all people have spine surgery so it's all people in extreme pain yeah and um so um i mean luckily there's morphine and all kinds of other things to help but it, <laughs> it's still pretty tough and down the hall from me just it seemed like unending there was a, a woman just screaming in extreme pain just yeah for it just seemed like it was ongoing 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 and which can make a and, difficult and I think situation even harder exactly yeah. yeah well that's the thing so i it's exactly so i started focusing I and mean, i was so focused on myself it's like oh, i can't take it anymore oh what can i do you know there's no way to make myself feel better about this i can't take any more morphine i can't sleep i'm flat on my back without a pillow for days you know yeah. where you're not allowed to move and having food dribbled in your mouth and um so the shift I made, and uh, you know, it kind of, it, it just kind of hit me at one point. It's like, what if I use some of the Forge stuff, um, you know, and bring compassion to her rather yeah. than just trying to solve my own problem of anger and frustration and pain? And two things happened, and I think it's a great lesson for change management leaders too. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I think we can extrapolate it. Is that one, the pressure for me to be fixed, you know, and for to fix my situation left. Right. right? So it's a whole right. level of downgrading the stress, um, which, um, you know, in mindfulness, you call that like the second arrow that hits you. So yes. you're in pain, if you're in chronic pain, for example, and you're constantly going, oh my God, and, and or why did this happen to me? And you start getting into that rumination part, that's called the second arrow, because you're shooting it at yourself, right? Right. So, because the pain's still there. Um, so, Kind of the same thing that my pain was still there, um, but that stress of having to remove all this other thing that was going on is now greatly reduced because now I yeah. focused on helping somebody else. Now my focus is out there. And the other thing that happened, which was very strange and a little scary, is that 
like it seemed with like in minutes suddenly she was quieted down yeah so Not i brought the vibes, compassion. The good vibes <laughs> yeah i mean i think and you know you hear a lot of talk about resonance in an organization yeah. i really feel it connects to that idea of resonance yeah. it's like now we're resonating not on i'm resentful 10 people on the ward are resentful no, 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 why can't it stop which is a whole different level of resonance you're resonating at that frequency of anger and frustration and pain yes. versus i'm going to resonate at the frequency of let's just bring compassion to everybody on this ward and let's all send our compassion there it's you know it's a form of loving kindness as well but it it connects so and the the third thing is it connects you yes right? so now instead of me being alone oh my god and i was alone in this room you know for days on end um and you feel isolated i mean you do have nurses but um now you're connected with all us we're now connected right that's the resonance is connecting us i think in change management um, when you connect in that way, uh, you're really creating an environment that's going to move forward together. Yeah. Right. So you take the stress off yourself, you bring everybody together and then you all move forward. That's right. Well, and I mean, those are wonderful examples and tragic examples as well of just the, the how compassion for ourselves, how compassion for others can really, it's vital for not only the individuals that we work with, but our own thriving. Um, I, I don't know if it's Tick, not Han, or who was talking about compassion uh, is, is recognizing our shared suffering. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes when we're experiencing pain or change, um, we suffer <laughs> because it's requiring us to experience something that we may or may not want to. And so having that compassion for yourself can alleviate that pressure, that stress, which accompanies the suffering. Um, and then I like how you're talking about resonance, that vibe, that experience that you're sending out into the organization. There's a lot of stress in many organizations. It's can be a, you know, the workplace is probably the biggest source of stress for many people. Mm -hmm. So keeping in mind how to practice compassion for oneself and for others can shift and, you know, change an experience um, you, is you really powerful. Yeah, it's and it's magical and it's I mean it's you know it's a practice but I'll tell you I was doing a keynote for a 200 300 I don't know technology folks at a technology yeah. conference and as part of the idea of of creating engage this talk was on engaging and being productive and um part of that is I talked about creating a pause a pause yeah. a space where we can feel centered and then use that as a, a foundation to be creative and move forward and so i actually did like a meditation with them right but you know in, in when you're trying to lead a group of meditation one way is to kind of settle yourself in and yeah. then connect 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 to everybody and it seems and and i was able to um i i just thought it's just so amazing so i've got all these tech folk and, you know, I kind of had gone riled them up a little bit about engagement and let's get rid of surveillance and this kind of stuff and then <laughs> settle them down. Yeah. And I had the whole room kind of closed, closing their uh, eyes, grounding, feeling their feet on the floor for a couple of minutes, opening your eyes and try to retain that. And the whole room is in a completely... The energy probably lifted. Yeah. Yeah. 
And what well, did I do? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like any, a leader can do that. I mean, you, you know, there's you, it's better if you're trained so you kind of know how to kind of handle it. But you can be trained. I mean, you can do it just by centering yourself and feeling that compassion and reaching out. How amazing would it be if more, you know, prior to starting my firm, I worked for a, a company where they were starting to incorporate mindfulness practices into mm. retreats and special meetings. It wasn't a consistent part of what we did within the organization. Um, I've incorporated it into my own practice and with my clients because of what you just described, that pause gives people a chance to reset, recalibrate. Um, and find that moment of ease. And how amazing would it be if organizations incorporated mindfulness and compassion into the overall ways of working? It's always like, okay, what's next? What's what's next? Results, results, mm -hmm. results. And you know what ends up happening is change happens slowly or it stalls or people go back to their old ways of working because it's just too much and they didn't have that pause. They didn't mm. have that break. They didn't have that second to think and be creative and problem solve. Um, they were focused on the solution and not the human centric piece of, of kind of what together organizations are collectively trying to accomplish. Um, so that's a great, that's really neat. It's always fun too, to hear, you know, I think in, in my head, I was thinking, oh, a group of IT leaders, are they going to have time or want to do some sort of mindfulness practice? But clearly there's, you know, every, it can connect with oh, everybody. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I got to tell you, I was, you know, I, I was just hanging out, you know, in the hallway almost all because people were coming up to me all day like, wow, that was like an amazing talk, you know, I love and that. you can get in a talk like that if you get 20 people that love you and like 60 people that are kind of on the fence maybe or <laughs> somewhere in the middle and then 20 people you always somehow hate you. I don't know why, but, um, <laughs> I, but <laughs> I, I think pretty much, I mean, I was just getting so many uh, great responses and I thought this is really very, very powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be impressive to see, you know, right before a major change initiative or after a difficult change that we incorporate those types of experiences into how we meet and interact with people. What about mm -hmm. um, the other one that I really liked a lot, and I'd love to hear more about it, the go with intuition. And the mm -hmm. reason that one called out to me, you know, in, in many of the leaders that I have worked with and continue to work with, there's a big focus on the solutions and the numbers and using data to drive and inform the decision-making, which mm. makes a lot of sense. And at the yeah. same time, that intuition piece may sometimes go in the face of data or, mm -hmm. um, you know, learning how to trust your intuition as a leader can be challenging. So tell mm. us a little bit about that, how you, how we as leaders can, tap into our own intuition and use it as a force for good when we're leading and guiding people um, that we, you know, in the organizations and the communities that we live and work in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, intuition is part expertise, part experience and part values. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, so there's always, when I talk about intuition, I often get someone saying, no, it's all about the data, right? Mm-hmm. But there are so many examples of it's that it's not about ignoring the data. There are some examples of where the data is there. And anyone who's been in leadership positions knows the data is not going to give you 100 percent answer. I mean, it's very rare because yeah. statistics is usually not often not uh, mostly not 100 percent. Right. That's why it's statistics. It's all about probability. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> so you can have a high level of probability. But at the end of the day, you still have to make a decision. Right. Yeah. 
and you know the there's an idea of the what's the ANSI model for um, decision making and risk is about frequency and impact mm -hmm. um, and so, so you have all those things you have to take care of so mm -hmm. you know I love to talk about the the Neil Armstrong uh, moon landing uh, and the uh, you know, I got two great stories in my mind. I'm okay. going to start with that one. I got another one yeah. after that if we have time. Okay. Um, the um, the new ones from Moon Knight. So he's, you know, they're landing. Good old Buzz Aldrin, you know, the um, character model for Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story. Um, is sitting, you know, co-pilot um, Neil Armstrong's landing, first moon landing. Uh, and um, as they're going down towards landing on the moon, they're rotating the land, you know, the, um, the spacecraft they're in is called the land, the learner excursion module. Um, yeah. and you know, the way they had the antenna situated every time they moved it, like the communications would go out. So, cause like it wouldn't be pointing at, uh, it'd be like going under it in our, into a tunnel. Yeah. So, uh, and the computer is like throwing errors, you know, and they're like, uh, mission control is the, are these errors? Okay. Yeah. They're okay. Just keep going. Just keep going. You know, right. um, basically the computer was getting overloaded and, so finally, they kind of figured that all out, and then they looked down, and the computer had um, organized, uh, kind of, um, situated their landing site in a crater of rocks. Oh. So <laughs> that kind of wasn't going to work, right? Right. <laughs> um, so they, with something like a minute to spare of fuel, um, they're coming to the landing site, and Neil Armstrong, his heart rate doubles, although, you know, they're highly trained. So you listen to his speech and it's just like, oh, it's so smooth, right? He's so yeah. in control. But his heart rate is doubled. So something's going on inside him, right? And um, he takes control. He takes manual control of the learner excursion module. He takes it out of the computer, automated control. And he's now got a minute to land this thing manually. Oh my goodness, yeah. Right? 250,000 miles or you know, we're uh, uh, away from Earth. And he has a choice to make. So, and it's seconds of a choice, right? Right. He's, and he, he's, he can choose to land the lunar scourge module in front of the crater and have more scientific significance mm -hmm. or be more safe and go across, you know, go across the crater and land on the other side. So right. they'll still get scientific evidence, but it won't be as scientifically significant. And he chooses in all those split second decisions to be safe. I got yeah. buzz with me. I want the mission to be a success. I don't want to take that level of risk, right? right. A lot of decision-making right. is about the risk. It's not worth the risk to go to that scientific site. I'm going to go. So what, so how does he make that decision, right? That's yeah. a snap decision. He's looking at data. I mean, that those screens, I mean, the data coming in there, there's a ton of data coming in there, but yeah. he's making seconds, you know, life and death decisions. Um, uh, and he, so, when you go to the post um, conversation, the post mortem conversations, he was saying, you know, I chose, you know, I chose the safer site. I had to yeah. take, but he's not think he doesn't have time to think, you know, 30, yeah. I, I've got 30 seconds of fuel or a minute to fuel to spare. And then eventually by the time you take control of the thing, you got 30 seconds to spare. Um, I think they have 30 seconds left of fuel. So I think the whole thing happened within 30 seconds is you're not thinking, hmm, let me analyze, fully analyze this data. Right. Let me understand. Let me have a big conversation with my team. I mean, he's got split second. Right. He's not even thinking. He's just going boom, right? Yeah. And he's responding. Yeah. I would say responding rather than reacting because he's fully aware of the situation. Right. That comes from the values, which is I, my values are safety, right? Yeah. 
the and the expertise and the experience. So one is about training. So he's right. clearly highly trained. I mean, the number of hours they put into training is incredible. And the expertise part is before, um, you know, he's an engineer again. Yeah. So he's, he's a data guy, right? Um, but uh, he was a test pilot in the early 60s, late 50s when they were losing yeah. something like 64 people a week or something like that or 64 oh. people a day. I forget yeah. the number. But a lot of folks just dying in, you know, aircraft experiments. And he was in multiple situations where his aircraft, you know, went out of control, you know, early versions of the learner excursion module, and he brought it out, you know, yeah. he either escaped or he brought the thing down safely or a small crash landing. Um, he was in the Gemini aircraft when it was when a jet remained open, it was spitting out of control and he brought that thing. So he had a lot of experience and he had expertise dealing in like right. VUCA, you know, today we would say VUCA, like these right. out of control, unknown situations. So, so from that, he intuition. was able to draw on his intuition. Well, so as yeah. you're describing this, I mean, that that to me makes a lot of sense where and why he was able to do that. You know, when I think about leaders in organizations, oftentimes they step into those roles without, you know, having maybe some reps in doing certain things, you know, that are required of that role. How, right. wh how would you, you know, in, in that situation where you don't have thousands of hours of experience, um, maybe mm -hmm. you don't have any experience, you know, there are people on your team mm -hmm. you hired to bring on because they fill a uh, skill gap or a knowledge gap that you don't have, which is fairly common in organizations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you're, you're tasked with leading your team and making the right decisions related to a change to a, something that needs to happen. Hopefully it's not as critical as landing, you know, on the moon, <laughs> but right. what would you, what advice would you give to people who don't have that level of experience that, you know, the mastery that you just described, but they're still being asked to do something really significant and important. How do they, where does, you know, where can they find intuition in those moments? Yeah, and part of um, what I teach in those workshops and at Columbia is when you're dealing with completely unknown situations and you've yeah. been there for the first time, part of it is becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, So yeah. And, right, and because you're in those situations and then you, because what happens is if you're, if you can't kind of find a space for that, now you're reacting you're just reacting mm -hmm. out of fear mm -hmm. and the reality is that you do have experience dealing with unknowns you've dealt with them your whole life yes right and you have to pull from those experiences yeah. because as a leader you're constantly being put in front of cliffs that you have to climb that yeah. you've never climbed before it's going to happen yeah. no matter how much experience you have i mean even neil armstrong had never landed on the moon before um, but he pulled yep. from other kinds of experience. Yeah, that's where I started to start getting into a little bit more of the body sensation thing. Yeah. Um, and aware. That's where to me mindfulness and embodiment really come in very helpful, because yeah. situational awareness is awareness, and the mindfulness piece is a practice of awareness and staying yes. centered. Right. So um, and coming back. So as your mind drifts, come back. As your mind drifts, come back. So as yeah. these like you know, crisis moments are affecting you. It's like part of the practices is how well we can come back. And the moment, you know, the mindfulness moments is really the moment you realize you've drifted and you start finding your way back again. That's that kind of like aha moment. Yes. And 
The other thing is the body sensations. And we talk about gut sense, and there are a lot of nerves that all mm -hmm. come together in the gut. So that's why we feel a lot of people. But you know what? Sometimes you might feel it in your knee. Sometimes mm -hmm. you might feel it in your Like, why am I doing this with my shoulder? You know, um, yeah. why am I feeling tense there? So, or why am I? And so, one so part of what I practice with folks is like, where, like, where does it feel good? Think about good decisions you've made. Where mm -hmm. have you felt those in the body? It might not be in the gut. The other um, story I wanted to read, and this will be a short one. <laughs> but I don't yeah, no, I want to hear it. Is um, David Clark, who's a serial entrepreneur, uh, um, and um, uh, he was flying uh, back to Maine, where um, uh, where he was living at the time, and uh, he thought, for, and he's an engineer, so he knows how to calculate gas fuel consumption and all this stuff, right? Yeah. And, but for some reason he was looking at the dials and he went, I know I've done a million billion flights and I know I know how to calculate the gas, but something's telling me, I'm feeling like, I wonder if it's like that, you know, I wonder if I really calculated the gas right, you know, the fuel consumption right this time. <laughs> and then he went like, you know, because of, and here's where the values come in. If I don't have this right, it's my family, it's my kids, yeah. you know, it's my parents, like all these people I'm affecting that mm -hmm. I love, right? He goes, I don't really have a second chance at this. If I'm thinking there might be a question, I have to land and check it out, right? Yeah. Even though the gauges are showing me perfection. And he, he landed at a different airport on the way, um, uh, I think at Teterboro. But yeah. um, he, he landed and he checked his gas and he was like four gallons short. And that he's like, he goes, if I hadn't checked that out, I would have been landing in the Bronx somewhere. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so he, but, that intuition came from his values and using that as a North star to make the decisions. I like that. That's really helpful. Um, yeah. think about that. Cause that, you know, if you don't have the data, which he didn't, he wasn't sure. And he was yeah. getting different information. He was able to lean on that. That's, um, that's an important message for people to hear too. Cause you, to your yeah. point, you don't always, you know, there's so many unknowns. A life is full of unknowns. Every day is going to be different. And so being able to lean into something that allows you to tap into your intuition, whether it's your experience or your core values, uh, that's really, that's yeah. really key for people to understand. And also the knowledge that, uh, you know, at any moment we're really just doing the best we can. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there are ramifications, but, um, if you can tap into that, I'm doing the best I can right now. Yeah. Um, that doesn't alleviate you from reviewing the data and making a real decision, right? And making it even an intuitive decision. But it does allow you to know that, you know, this is, you're doing whatever you can to make the right decision at the time. Yeah. That taps into that compassion piece too, having compassion mm -hmm. for yourself and, and, you know, to what you just described. Um, what about with, you know, there's a couple other pieces of this framework that I'd love to, to ask you some questions about. And one of them, um, the other one is that employee action communications. That one stood out to me too. It's a, it's a neat way of, you know, when you think about communicating that action pieces differentiates that, that part of the framework. Tell me a little bit about employee action communications and how leaders can utilize that component to be more effective when, you know, leading and guiding people. Um, in the organizations yeah. they work for. I'll tell you, it, it comes from, uh, th there's a poem by Antonio Machado, uh, and I think it was in 1917, um, but the core piece of it is, we make the road by walking. Yeah, oh, I like that. 
I don't think yeah. I've heard of it before, but I really love that. <laughs> and so as you, you know, the things you do in the world is making mm -hmm. the road, mm -hmm. right? And so, A, you're not necessarily going on someone else's path. Mm -hmm. um, and your ex the actions you take are really your message. Yeah. So that's the action communication is whatever action you're taking. So all that decision making stuff, all that compassion stuff, to me, it kind of all comes together here because right. all of that winds up as an expression in the real world as some form of action you're taking, some yes. form of behavior um, and how it affects other folks, you know, and um, so the the so that making the road by walking is really saying I'm going to create something here in the real mm -hmm. world, not mm -hmm. just in my head, not just in my even my breathing exercises or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so the there's just so many great examples. I mean, really, all of the um, leaders, I mean, that I talk about in the book and, you know, so many more out in the world, you know, uh, uh, you can see that their message, you can see when, you know, if their message isn't aligned with what they're doing. Right. Right. And you sense and you can sense a certain like um, discomfort or dissonance there between those two things. You say, well, they kind of said this, but I kind of see them doing that. And so mm -hmm. right away, your message becomes diluted because like, yeah. why are you saying one thing and doing another thing? Now, maybe there's a reason or maybe it's just your own confusion. But um, but so the example in the in, in the book that I love is Shayla Murray who's the executive vice president in charge of communications at Columbia University. Um, prior to that, um, she, she kind of um, was a pioneer in social media for mm -hmm. creating political campaigns. Uh -huh. And so she's all about message, right? And so two things. One is when she came into Columbia, she had this amazingly skilled team of videographers and social media folks that she was working with. And, but they were slightly behind the times in what they were doing, partly because that's the way, I mean, she was brought in to help revamp, right? Mm -hmm. Change management. So this is yep. to your point. And first thing is she knew where she wanted to be and what the changes she wanted to make, mm -hmm. but that would not create a um, uh, innovative environment, right? Yeah. Her, just, she's not teaching her team. I mean, she's telling the team what to do and they can, they could have easily just done it, but right. she wanted to create a team that was open-minded thinking and an innovative team. So right. that actually helps her out, right? I mean, because now she's got a, a whole team of innovators working for her. Right. Uh, so she told them instead of saying, hey, I, wanna, I want you to scale down the 15-minute videos to three-minute videos, she told them, hey, go out, look at else what's going on, and come back with some ideas. Yeah. Boom. She sets them into a learning mindset, right? Open-minded yeah. mindset. And um, guess what? They came back with many things and one of them is let's make three minute videos instead right <laughs> <clears throat> so um so then they did that the columbia website had about eight thousand hits a day pandemic comes thirty two thousand hits a day wow so big change but her team was able to pivot almost immediately mm -hmm. to create a helpful website for the community um, and that's one of the things that brought 32,000 hits a day because not only did they pivot and create, you know, um, come up with ways to um, provide information to folks, but she also created, so this is the action part of it, she created a, a fund for the community from the school 
to give back to the community. So she just didn't go out and say, hey, community, we're here, you know, we right. support you. She actually supported the community. That's the message is the action. Yes. Um, and I could see that even in um, the um, there are small ways that that happens. So there's a number of examples of people creating communities. And this is, cre again, when you're doing change management, you're creating community. You're bringing yeah, a community. Absolutely. And um, so many great examples of people like stepping up to the plate. So mm -hmm. like in one case, the, the, um, I interviewed the leaders of the local food pantry, again, during the pandemic. Uh, and, <clears throat> uh, and they had to step up to the plate because as like right when the pandemic hit, there the leader of the pantry who was 80 years old decided to step down oh yeah someone had to step up at a time when the need increased by something like it was over 400 percent oh wow yeah um, and so these two non-leaders so part of it is to me is that leaders can be born i mean you don't have to be born into a leader but you can be birth you know you can um develop you into one. one yeah yeah and they did it. I mean, they didn't start as leaders. I mean, you know, they'd had some experience, but it was this thing, they had to step up to the plate at a time when things were good. They had to create like, so they had first go get more donations of food. And then suddenly they were getting all these donations of food. So that was a great success. But guess what? Yeah. We don't have enough refrigerators to hold all this food because right. we never planned for this. <laughs> so they had to start going, making out into the community, the restaurants and all these folks who, um, um, had all these like refrigerators that no longer are getting used, you know, because right? they, oh, their, their yeah. stock of food is not there. So they started like implementing that. And then what food was there, they started getting donations for all the food that couldn't be used because their restaurants weren't open. So that became started becoming donations. So they created this whole community of Around. farmers and restaurants and right. Just reaching out again, this whole thing about community. Yeah. The, um, there are other examples of, um, uh, Naimisha Murti, for example, who created Products by Women. Uh -huh. And she started it um, just before the pandemic to create a community of women product managers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, because she didn't see the community there and she wanted the community, so stepped up to the plate, right? There was yeah. no community. She didn't get hired as a leader. She just created this thing. Yes. And um, this is now, it was grown, it's grown, I don't know how many people they have now, but it's worldwide. And they now have like major, like leaders around the world that are part of this thing. And they have, I mean, after like three, four years of this name, I've got a whole set of videos and workshops and all these things they do to reach out to the community. Um, an amazing story of just starting. And she has this wonderful story of she really had been presenting and um, but one day she was called to step up to the plate again because the yeah. person who she kind of set up to talk that day got sick and she had to step um, in. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> she was like, oh, I don't know. I wasn't ready and I didn't have it. But she just stepped up to the plate, you know, and sometimes you just have to do that and just say, this is what it's going to be. You know, this I, what I have is what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, the other one is, um, do I have time for one more little story? Yeah, in that yeah realm? yes, definitely. And I, you know, before you get to that story, just to sort of reiterate yeah. the points that you're sharing with the community sure. of listeners uh, to the Change Leader Insights podcast is, you know, one is that action-based communications really comes mm. through not just the messages that you're sharing, but how you share it. And then what mm. you do on, I guess, top of the information that you're providing. So the example of the um, the communications leader at Columbia University, 
how she not only invited her team to co-create the process and the solution and then went out and then created that fund. That's a great example. And then mm. the community piece of building community, um, you know, many change management uh, methodologies focus on activating change agents and influencers in the organization as a sort of a key key way to spread change, to advance a change initiative. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that people who are listening that res like that we reinforce that message. It's not a top down, the senior leader saying what to do. It's how do you activate from within? So people want to willingly step up to the plate and be someone who's going to help shepherd and um, kind of shape the trajectory of whatever needs to be changing. But want to hear the, yes, yeah. the other story that you had in mind. Um, would love to. Yeah. Love, love oh, to hear. And just, and, and now you, you've just jettisoned it's like the key, one of the key things there is the connection piece. Yes. The relationship. So it's, connection, it's yeah. not just coming in and I'm going to freaking change everything. And you know what? Fear will get you a certain way. I mean, it's just like acute emergencies, you know, yeah. you, you know, sometimes you have to take command and control, right. To, yeah. to um, save someone's life. On the flip side, it will not get you longevity, right? Yeah. And um, so if you really want to get the longevity, you want to get a, a corporate, you know, a large group or a small group moving with you, mm -hmm. bring them together, create a shared experience. Mm -hmm. um, you talked about it earlier that, you know, um, that, you know, the suffering is when you're feeling alone. Okay. Yeah. So let's not suffer alone. We could even suffer together, right? <laughs> yeah. Misery loves company. <laughs> right. Exactly. The The last story I'd, I'd like to share is about um, Ashley Wisdom. Yeah. So Ashley was, uh, so Ashley created this group and this website um, and this community called Health in Her Hue. Mm -hmm. And it's healthinnerhue.com. And she was experiencing microaggressions at work. Mm. Um, and um, she was had tremendous hives, this mm. terrible case of hives. And um, she went to the doctor, and it was a white doctor. She's a black woman. And um, she did not feel comfortable um, discussing any of that other, bringing up other stuff, because I'm not sure why, but I guess there was discomfort about talking and it's not that the doctor was aggressive anyway but she focused on here here's a cream you know that kind of stuff so again right. focusing on the solution versus the person and uh so so when she uh so finally she quit the job the hives almost immediately went away i mean pretty much immediately went away yeah <laughs> i said almost so subsided um so clearly there was an emotional stress from microaggression, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she felt that, wow, if when I went to the doctor, if I had had a black woman there, mm -hmm. I probably would have felt, you know, more open to speaking about it because I would have had, again, a shared relationship, a sh common background. Yeah. And so she created Health in Her Hue to help match up, you know, uh, black women doctors with black women um, who need healthcare. And gotcha. this is now turned into a major, I mean, she's now almost an institution on her own wow. um, on major panels and this kind of thing about healthcare. <clears throat> but it just started with her and, and she was going to school at the time, I think at NYU mm -hmm. and yeah, at NYU and she didn't have time to write all the content, but mm -hmm. she just started engaging other folks again, creating community, yeah. all working together for this common cause um, to, 
you know, provide content, to do blogs, little newsletters and things. Um, and it just grew from totally from like Naimisha's website, all from scratch, all from wow. uh, ground zero. Um, and um, uh, now, like the other like the other website, a major, major um, cause, major website. Um, and, and she's a, a whole person that has, has many major speaking engagements. But I'm not sure that she even um, I haven't asked her this. But I don't think she set out to be a major speaker. I think she yeah. set out to solve a problem. Yeah. Right? And that's, I think, where all her speaking yeah. is coming from, is from internally. Yeah, I, that's a, you know, I, I like that story a lot because her focus was not on, you know, it was about helping people, helping herself, helping others who are in a similar situation. Um, and that's, you know, when I think about how to apply this, that approach to what we do as leaders of people in teams that we have, you know, responsibility for, maybe it's reorienting, not what they can do for me, right? Not what they, the, how they contribute to the bottom line, but how can I help them flourish as humans? And that's really yeah. kind of what Ashley has been able to do. It sounds like where her goal, mm -hmm. her, it was, how do I help people um, improve their health by feeling more connected to their physicians and feeling comfortable to share. And it ended up being something so significant. So it's an important message for everyone. Uh, focus yeah. on how you can serve others and you'll end up serving yourself in the process, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's um, a great message. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Well, these are a lot of really important takeaways for people who are responsible for leading uh, teams, people leading themselves, um, projects, whatever it might be in, you know, their places of work, in their schools, um, you know, and so I'm really grateful that you were able to share some of the nuggets of wisdom from your book with us. If people want to buy your book or connect with you, is LinkedIn the best place to find you, or do you want to share your website or what's uh, what's the best yeah. way to kind of LinkedIn's learn from a, you? Yeah, LinkedIn's a great place. Uh, you can DM me there, all that kind of stuff. Um, also, DouglasShear.com is my website. Perfect. Um, and all of those have links or even on the screen. I don't know if they're going to see the screen, but Douglas oh, yeah. share at Douglas.share at You can reach me there. So there's a lot of ways to find me and I'm happy to talk to folks and hear their stories as well. Or, you know, if I can be of some help. Absolutely. Yes. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to continuing our conversations. I know I've got a lot more to learn from you and um, I look Same. forward to that, but thank you for making time today to connect with the change leader insights community. Um, yeah, I'll have to bring you on in the future again, just to kind of do a check-in on how everything's going and, and see what, what else you've been able to put out into the universe and share with us. So absolutely. So I'll come back anytime. <laughs> All right. Right on. Thanks again. Okay.